Um, so, Jim. The... Oh, I tried to gargle, but it didn't work. <laughs> what, if I, what if I just did a funny voice for this whole conversation so you couldn't cut it into the podcast cleanly? Yes, Jason? This is Jim's uh, new just, character. I'm, you know, I'm just trying to talk, and I just... <laughs> You just, just only did the funny voice when I was talking. Yeah. Like you're just somebody else talking over <laughs> Jason, who are you talking to? Split Tooth Media and the Synesthesia Podcast Present. A special October podcast. Man? man. Or Monster, Monster Man? man. Um, I'm going to tell the story as if I'm talking about the first time I ever really watched a uh, Mario Baba movie. It's not true, but it, it's a better story. of this is like the way I was introduced to him. Sure. So, yeah. Um, so before I ever really saw any, uh, Baba movies, like I kind of knew who he was, but, um, I remember I was watching, uh, Baron Blood and I, w- I had it on while I was doing other stuff. Sure. And so it got to a scene where they're discussing uh, the Baron uh, and calling him a sadist yeah. and a murderer. Yeah. But in the uh, in the English dubbing, they pronounce sadist saddest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, because I wasn't totally paying attention. I thought that the movie had just called someone the saddest murderer. <laughs> and I looked up, what? What's happening? That's really delightful. And that, and that, that was my introduction to Mario Buff. <laughs> he is the saddest murderer. Which is... I don't know. He was pretty happy. He's pretty happy. That's That whole, the whole happy premise lucky. there, right? They're like, he's going to be brought back to be tortured, but he's... I mean, they, I guess, eventually figure that out. But mostly he's just brought back. Mostly well, I he's think not there the to be idea, He's there to do more I think murders. the idea is that you you would only bring him back if you were prepared to hold him right. and torture him. Right. Um, they weren't but they're anticipating comes. the... Yeah, the like... In the 70s, there'll be some bimbo horror movie stars that just play with right. dark forces. Like, yeah. that's, you know... I, yeah, the main dude in that movie is <laughs> they're, they're never, totally bonkers. They're never betting on the 70s and the 80s, which yeah. is... Right. That's the, that's, that's, where that's it all the problem with apart. all those old courses. <laughs> old courses? Old hearses. Curses. Curses. Oh, boy. <laughs> I um, can I, I can I just jump into I, can I just talk about a thing? Can you just talk about anything? Because I'm melting. I I watched a bunch of these, a bunch of these babs, bavies, and uh, I was thinking about this particular. I mean, I thought about a bunch of stuff, but one of the things I was thinking about was the fact that Mario Baba made movies like like Bay of Blood. Bay of Blood's a delightful example. There's a lot of fun stuff, I think, about Bay of Blood that was super interesting for me. But one of the things that he does in Bay of Blood is sort of in the way that he is making movies, introduces the people who are at the end of the movie, our main characters, roughly halfway through the film. Um, Like the people who we end with don't show up until I think literally halfway through the movie. Um, and, And, you know. You're like, okay, here's where I'm on this ride, right? Which allows him to do things like in Baron Blood, 
we I don't know if I have to explain the movie. I'll just assume everyone has also watched Mario Baba movies. Um, it, it's you know, there's like there's like the curse of the guy and the ancient guy, and he's going to be brought back and he's going to do murders. And then halfway through the movie, a mysterious guy in a wheelchair shows up and buys the castle with the intent of renovating it exactly to how it was b- b- back when the evil guy lived there. Uh, and if that movie were made by like a Hollywood filmmaker, you'd be like, cool, I get it. That's barren blood, right? But because it's Mario Bava and he's just making choices all the time and introducing weird <laughs> randos, I I was like, okay, new guy. You know? He like yeah, he it, can get yeah, me in ways sure. that no other filmmaker I think could get me. Yeah. Because you don't trust him to make the conventional choice. Yeah. Like you trust him to make the Mario Baba choice. Yes. You, you place yourself in his hands. But you can't trust him to make the choice that everybody else wants. Yeah, so when he makes a kind of rote decision, it catches you off guard. You're like, what? You're like, oh. Well, and it actually becomes a source of of suspense. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're like, oh, like it's he, one of the only times where it actually gets thing? me. <laughs> I'm like watching the movie. I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure he's going to be the Baron, but like, maybe not. Maybe not. It's, maybe, maybe he's just, just a guy. A just a weird guy. guy. Yeah. Um, so which ones actually you which ones did you watch I'll tell you you were chomping through them I just want to know and then we can maybe dig into some individual sure. at least in the devil I wrote the most notes on because oh yeah well I I, it's yeah, I think it's absolutely his most interesting movie at yeah. the very least uh, and then I watched Baron Blood and then okay uh, and then Bay of Blood a lot of blood movies uh, and then <laughs> and then Blood and Black Lights I thought I watched one more but that's all I have written down I did also flip through Danger Diabolic, even though I've seen it a bunch of times, just to like give myself a little yeah. pressure on it. Um, yeah, but I, I, I didn't flip through Danger Diabolic, but I have very recently watched the uh, Beastie Boys video for Body Moving. Sure, yeah, yeah, a bunch of times yeah. because the boys are really into it, <laughs> yeah. as they should be. So, yeah, um, we also so that's, that's, we that's don't super have to talk about that one because it is not very Halloweeny. Yeah, I I was tempted for a minute to like make the episode about Danger Diabolic, yeah. <laughs> just perversely, <laughs> and then deliver it to the Wright Brothers, being like, "Here's our Halloween episode. We're talking about not a horror movie." Yeah. I'll tell you what, I never I never gave Baba fair shakes because I prior to just jumping in a couple of weeks ago, so we could talk about him. Um, I had seen three Baba movies, but only one of them was in the context of watching a Mario Baba movie. Uh, and mm-hmm. that was Black Sunday. I've seen Black Sunday, um, knowingly being like, I'm going to, f- I'm going to learn about Mario Bava, um, and that is a very gothicy, gothic, goth, goth movie, uh, which is mm-hmm. it's it's good, but it's hard for me to get excited about that that world of filmmaking um, most As of the time. As opposed to me, yes, yeah, uh, <laughs> and so I saw it, <laughs> and I. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. You like live and breathe it, um, and I. I, and say, I but yeah, that that genre is is unquestionably my shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and but for me, it's like harder. I it's it's a thing that I almost always enjoy when I'm watching it, but I'm never like, oh, I'm gonna put on a gothic horror movie. Um, yeah. And so I I watched it and I was like, oh, this is good. But like, I don't know that I want to watch a bunch more Bava. Just sort of brazenly assuming that that was generally his flavor. Um, mm-hmm. oh, but I incidentally also have watched danger diabolic 30 times of course uh it's one of my most watched movies probably uh never really processing that it was a baba movie 
Um, and like six months ago, I watched Lisa and the Devil again. I, I don't even know where I saw it because I legitimately didn't know it was a Bob movie, <laughs> Bob movie. And I don't think I knew it was called Lisa and the Devil because you texted me and you were like, if you're just if you can only get through one, start with this one. And I was like, OK. And then I started watching it. It was immediately like, oh, I just watched this a few months ago. Uh, I loved it. Um, so but, but both of those are like much more in the sort of aesthetic world uh, that Baba lays out that I was always like, oh, his movies are all like kind of slow, uh, meticulous, black and whitey movies, um, which they're not. Yeah, they're not at all. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. That's so you will. You you've kind of perfectly uh, uh, introduced yourself <laughs> to his uh, history in that way. Yeah, because um, he's kind of like a like an Orson Welles figure okay where he had his first film was super critically acclaimed oh and is that like black sunday that was his first was it really his first film i didn't realize that um i mean he'd worked as a cinematographer for years and years and he had shadow directed movies okay but that was the first one where he got to put his name on it and actually controlled it sure um and and it is. I mean, I think it's great. It is. It is a very good. Uh, movie. And and it being me being that you know into that kind of genre, I think it's a you know I, I would absolutely go on to like watch more things by him. Sure. Uh, but so did a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and they were very mad <laughs> when he didn't continue in that vein. They yeah. kept going like, "Well, we want this is you. We want this thing that was so perfect that you did." Yeah, he and just rapidly turns like, well, into a kook. He's like, "Well, yeah, I did that already. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm off doing something else. I got, I got, I got to move forward." Yeah, he's a shark. And his later work is so much more experimental and interesting, just like Wells. Yeah, like the stuff that people talk about as you know the lesser work or the you know the the mangled, incomplete work because he ran out of money or whatever. It's, right. And you're like, well, that's know. where he's like doing things. Yeah, that's where he's trying new stuff. Like, great, he he did that old one. That's very good. Yeah, like sure. Um, but that's really interesting that you had that that opinion of Baba, which is sort of that was the to the extent that there was one. I think that was the um, sort of settled uh, mainstream opinion on him until sure. he was rediscovered and revitalized by. I don't know, whatever generation of critics in the 80s or 90s. Sure. 30 seconds into watching Lisa and the Devil. Yeah, yeah. I was just struck by urgency. Yeah. Like, I have to text Jim right now <laughs> so that if he is making any, like, plans of how to see these movies or getting them or making any choices, he knows that he must prioritize yeah. Lisa and the Devil. Yeah. Which is amazing that you had just seen it but didn't know... Do you know, when you watched it, was there an exorcism in it? I don't remember an exorcism. I remember being exactly because, the same. Okay. Does it, because the, does the it film, change sometimes? <laughs> it does. Uh, when it was released in the U.S., oh, of course, they made of course. Baba come in and shoot... Uh, actually, in, in like the same way they did to Blatty for Exorcist Three, yeah. they made uh, Bava come in and shoot an exorcism scene that okay. they could cut into the movie, Weird. and they released it as House of Exorcism to try to capitalize on the success okay. of The Exorcist. Sure. So, like, there is a version of Lisa and the Devil that you can watch that's heavily re-edited, of course, to make it like a priest is exorcising all of this. Okay, that's happening. very strange. 
Then like Bava also shot, but then also like walked off in the middle of shooting. It's a really weird duck. I haven't watched the House of Exorcism, but it's like regularly packaged with Lisa and the Devil, so it's available. So you could like compare them. Um, yeah. That's funny. Um, so I'd, like at some point I'd like to do that, but I was just wondering if like maybe you I think watch that version. Here's what I think. But I, this is not interesting for anyone but me and maybe you. Uh, I think I saw it on I on my TV. I, I have like. Uh, you know, like TV, but it's not actually. It's like just a bunch of digital channels. And I think I must have mm-hmm. seen it on one of those because I saw oh, okay. I definitely saw the whole movie because it was I literally just after when the fresco popped up. I was like, oh, I've seen this before. And I remembered everything about like him carrying the mannequins around and stuff. Um, yeah. And I, I definitely stayed through the end of the movie. So I think I saw the whole thing, but it was in a place where I didn't choose to watch it. I like just I put something on and it was happenstantially there, I think. Got it. Um, because it, I wasn't like, you know what I'm going to do today? Watch Lisa and the Devil. I was just like, <laughs> let me have some colors in front of my face. And then and then as you yeah. did when you texted me within what I, whatever, I was probably going to like be doing stuff and watch it. And I started it and I was like, oh, I'm stuck now. I am fixated on this thing uh, and I can't leave until it's over. Yeah. Um, It was the same experience I had the first time I watched it because I put it on like I did with Baron Blood where it's like, well, this will be a fun thing to have on. Yeah. You know. And I'll be sort of paying attention. And then, you know, that got drawn into that. But at least in the devil within, like, within minutes, you're just like, I... Yeah. I'm not doing anything else. Right? It's like, you're brought in... You're brought in by the fresco and by Telly Savalas, yes. but then yes. by the time you're brought there... Well, because also you know... The story you know as a human being that it's Telly Savalas before you know Telly Savalas is in the movie. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Which is, I don't Although know, delightful. I think I texted, I think I texted okay. you during the opening credits. Oh, sure. Where it's like a Telly Savalas <laughs> in right. a cutout of a playing card yeah. with like a red velvet. Oh, yeah, yeah, and he's yeah. Like, I think that's when I was like, oh, right. <laughs> that's what this movie is. Um, because then by the time you're in it, yeah. the, the structure of the scenes are so strange. Yes. Um, like, it's a cliche to call things Lynchian, but this is, if this wasn't a major influence on David Lynch, yeah. I will eat a whole bed. Like, yeah, absolutely. The, the, the like, dreamy yeah. loopiness, I mean, of the whole movie, but also the first, between when you meet Telly Savalas and then when you meet him again. Yes, that Everything whole that happens segment is, I mean, it is Mulholland Drive. The whole movie Mulholland Drive happens in that it section. It does. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah it's uh uh ilkis summers yeah i'm sure i don't know how to say that name i'm not gonna um yeah uh playing lisa just wandering around i guess they're in i didn't even check to see where it was shot but some italian city that's constantly shifting well i say i guess it's italy because um, I know Baron Blood was unusual for being shot out of Italy. Okay. And originally, Bava turned it down <laughs> oh, really? because he didn't want to leave Italy. <laughs> I think the way he turned it down, he sent back a note being like, solamente in Italia. <laughs> like, <laughs> only in Italy, baby. Um, but yeah, he, like, he didn't want to travel. He, so I'm sure that Lisa and the Devil is shot in Italy. And so then Telly Savalas is walking along with his dummy. Yeah. <laughs> 
and I guess gives her directions, and then she meets a man who thinks that she's somebody else. Yeah, he calls her Eleanor. Pushes, and then yeah, she throws then, him down the stairs, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, he, he dies, question mark? <laughs> which, I mean, that, again, a realistic depiction of, like, a female tourist in Italy. Sure. Uh, and, like, what you have to do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes a man comes at you and you throw him down the stairs. That is the that is the thing just floating above all of these movies um, is just like the Italianness of it all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just how fucking <laughs> not to slander a whole people, <laughs> but how just goddamn lecherous Italians. <laughs> there is an awful um, lot of lechery in those movies. Yeah. Like, I remember my sister I, going to Milan by herself. Yeah. That was the only place in Italy she went without me. Yeah. And literally, anytime she sat down on a bench, like, if there was a space, there would be a dude there being like, eh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what? Is, yeah? Well, right, because in these movies, sometimes it's like the there's, like, bad dudes who are being lecherous, but also all of the dudes who aren't the bad dudes are also being lecherous. It's just yeah, a it's baseline. Just the, it's like the, the male Italian mode towards women. Yeah. Um, I was, it, <laughs> I was watching, um, I put concerts on for the boys in the morning. Sure. Uh, because it's the thing that like, they'll enjoy enough to eat their breakfast. Sure. While I'm making their lunch, but they won't get so, uh, demanding and absorbed in it that they won't then go brush their teeth. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so it's like it's, it's the medium I found. But um, one of uh, Gus's favorite bands is the Talking Heads, so I found Talking Heads concerts. And one of the ones I found was from Italian television. Okay. And there's this one segment in it where um, Tina Weymouth, uh, when she comes on stage, she's wearing like a black leather jacket over a white dress and the dress is slit like down the leg. Sure. And there's this one segment where she's playing like a great bass line and the fucking Italian TV camera just zooms in on her legs <laughs> and stays there for like a minute. And every time I see him, I'm like fucking Italian. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like there's a whole concert going on and you're literally just trying like, to yeah, catch your camera up in a skirt. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like that sense. I'm sorry if it's offensive, but it's fucking true. Uh, <laughs> and especially fucking true in the 1960s and 70s. For sure. Um, so it's just hanging over all of these films. Uh, but yeah, so so she meets... A man who thinks that she's another person, and when he tries to embrace her, she pushes him, and he falls downstairs, and then maybe dies. But we're not sure. We can't leave also, before we know. I we guess. haven't yet said that he looks exactly like the dummy right. that Telesavos <laughs> was buying, right. which is <laughs> maybe the most important. Thing. <laughs> right. There's a lot that goes um, on. Yeah. Uh, so then. I don't even remember. She like runs into alleys and is immediately or almost immediately picked up by this couple, right? There's like a wealthy yeah, couple. Yeah, but it's in a not immediate because it, it's at night. And right. when she's immediate running around, for it's like, us. It like. I think she runs right, out of that it's sequence. Like she's and been into running the around in these. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I remember, but then I'm trying. That's what it feels but you're like. like surely I'm there must have been but something. I think it's what happens. But I don't think. I think we're missing. Yeah. I think we're all missing the same thing, you, me, and Lisa. So that she ends up in a car with this wealthy couple where the the wealthy the husband is being cuckolded by the driver mm -hmm. um 
And it's like this very uncomfortable, tense situation where their car had already broken down once. Yes. And then they drive off into the mist and then it breaks down again in the middle of nowhere at a mysterious castle. And then who opens the door about Telly Zavallis? Of course. Um, and we're off to the races. Yeah. Uh, and then like there's uh, weird, there's a strange family that lives there uh, that have a strange, you know, horrible mystery and some weird history happens. And Lisa is maybe the reincarnation of this dead woman. Cause they're look the same and maybe not. Eleanor, and people right. show up who are maybe ghosts and maybe aren't. Uh, and the plot absolutely and the doesn't guy matter. Who chased her down as Eleanor shows up. Yeah. He the, shows the up, but then man. he also is a dummy again. Yeah. But then he also is not a dummy. Also, um, uh, Telly Savalas offers them a cake and says it has chocolate sprinkles in the most menacing way possible. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, because then the young man of the house who uh, is is besotted with Lisa because she reminds him of this Eleanor person. We don't know until later, but that Eleanor, he's killed right. and kept, uh, you know, locked away forever. Yeah. Um, yeah, we meet this weird later on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And all of this happened long enough ago that all of these people would be dead and it's all ghosts and it's all, you know, something strange happening. Yeah. Um, I was convinced for a second. So when, and uh, <laughs> when they go into the weird house, I know I'm like, I'm trying to recap it. Like we're a normal show. Um, <laughs> or like we inform anybody of anything. <laughs> Well, but also, when they like, go into the house, that's kind of where Bob stops. He's like, and it's a loop. Who cares? That's that's the end. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, but what I care about is like Telly yeah. Savalas is making these dummies. Yeah, um, which I guess is something these that Bob's father mannequins. used to do. They're beautiful mannequins, of course. Yeah, of course but, it and is. that's and that's a, yeah, and so like like Telly Savalas is very much like it's a film about his father in a lot of ways, okay. and about his father like making artifice and making <laughs> art. And, um, yeah. And like, yeah, being the devil, but being this, this incredibly attractive devil, you always want sure. to watch and is the most interesting person in the world, yeah. in the room and is in control of everything. So, you know, it, I mean, it, it has a the sort of standard Freudian read to it, which yeah. is interesting as far as it goes, but it, it's interesting to me only in so much as it moved Bava like it serves as the floor from which Baba is then creating this work that we got to see. Sure. Right. Like that's the, maybe the baseline reasoning or the baseline, like compulsion is like to make something that reminds him of his father or deals with ideas or feelings that he has about his father. But then we get again, Telly Savalas making beautiful mannequins yeah. and just, uh, delivering just i don't know one of the best performances i've ever seen from an actor so who good. i already love yeah i one of the things that, that i can't I noted, remember when he's gotten the chance to do all of like he, as much as he got to do in this film he really gets he's usually stuck in roles where he's doing a thing and in this role he gets to do five things <laughs> yeah uh, uh jason why does he have a lollipop that's the question oh i can answer you that can you i i was so I excited when he busted it i out, was and then i looked i it was up. so excited too i was like so but it's after it. kojak happened and i know in no, kojak he was before kojak. smoking oh i thought it was after the first season um maybe but, it was released after the first season but it was released after the first season but filmed before it was it was filmed before 
he actually got on Kojak. I didn't know so that. So Mario okay. Bava was actually very proud that they gave him his first lollipop. Is that, yeah, he was he was quitting smoking, and he yeah. had... I forget what he had instead, but they were like, nah, what about a lollipop? That'll look better. Yeah, like so, He had and some so, other thing he was chewing on, and they were like, no, sir. Yeah. Lollipop. Yeah, he had some other That's thing so he was good. using to quit smoking, and they were like, no, 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 lollipops. And then it became his brand after yeah, that. Yeah, for real, yeah, forever. Because at first, I was like happy but also a little sad sure i was like oh are you it, it took me a minute because or it took me like i had to adjust i was like yeah. oh are you making a kojak nod like i guess uh, that's funny and sure like I, go for it i'm sure like it would but no it was just an aesthetic flourish yeah it made me so much happier to learn the, that Savalas it was a genuine aesthetic him. flourish between the two of them right that he then took and imprinted upon the rest of culture well that's yeah i was I didn't even read it as a Kojak nod. I just read it as like, oh, Telly Savalas really liked lollipops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which which ultimately it seems like was the truth, right? He did get excited about them, whether it be aesthetically or flavor wise or that he genuinely thought they were helpful for quitting smoking or whatever. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, for whatever he was, reason, he, he did was... latch onto them. But it's nice to know that he latched onto them here first. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bob and Leone were like, "We, yeah, we gave him his first lollipop." <laughs> <laughs> I was I, rewatching it. I was really struck by because the first time you watch it, it is, it is, it feels dreamy and a little confusing. And it's not really until the end that you that you know what is happening. Right? He sort of reveals at yes. the end that like these are all dead people and they're being forced to relive a series of murders that they committed out of weird passion, uh, and. And also they're all mannequins, <laughs> including yes. Lisa, right? Um, although I still don't know, like, is Lisa just a person who happened to look enough like his mannequin that he's using her now as a mannequin? Was she initially a mannequin? I don't know. Doesn't matter. Um, well, I, I, I think, yeah, I, I think it doesn't matter in more than just like, oh, yeah. the plot's sloppy. Like, I no, think no, no, it no. genuinely is not supposed matter. to matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, I, but watching it the second time through, because the first time... You you know that Telly Savalas, I mean, you know he's the devil from moment one, really, uh, but you don't know what's happening. But watching it the second yes. time through, it was it was fun because there's part of the idea is that they're sort of stuck in this eternal loop. And he is there masterminding it and and getting joy out of parts of it. But there are long sequences where they're all sort of playing out their characters and like de redeveloping these relationships where he's visibly bored. He's just like, yeah. he's like, <laughs> yes. get to the goddamn murders because <laughs> that's the yes. part he likes. And he's just like hanging around outside with his lollipop or yeah. like sneaking a or, like, cigarette. Making fun of them in weird ways, like saying kind of taunty things or just like, yeah. oh, you want the cake? Cool. Here's your cake. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it is very funny. He set up these situations where he clearly is like he has to go through all of it to get to the yeah. parts that he wants. Yeah. <laughs> Much like like the film has to have this semblance of some sort of like commercially available plot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To get to the things that it wants to do. Yeah, that it's trying um, to explore. Yeah. <laughs> I've been I've taken to calling these Bava films, at least the ones that I've, I've watched recently, and and the ones that I like the most, sort of neo gothic horror. Okay, which is I think a little bit different from. Um, I mean, I know you were talking about your initial uh, 
exposure to Bava with yeah. Black Sunday. Yeah. And how, it, you know, that is a more sort of traditional gothic horror film. Sure. In some ways. At least and in, it just, in like, every aesthetic your, way, right? It's just not your jam, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean I being like in black them. and white does it a lot, and I like them. It's just not. No, right, right, but it's it, something but it about the slowness of of that sort of gothic style. You know, there's like a there's like an arcane slowness and, uh, and yeah. like, a, like a sort of pomposity to the way all of the characters exist that I like. I like enjoy when I'm watching it, but I never seek it out. Yeah, and and, and I enjoy and do seek it out. But I was thinking, trying to think about what made. Because I also experience that difference, right, between sure. Black Sunday and the other films. And I, I like Black Sunday, but it's not one I'm. It's not one I ever rush to rewatch. Um, sure. And when when we decided we were going to do a Bava episode, the ones I was excited to watch were Baron Blood, Lisa yeah. and the Devil, Kill Baby yeah. Kill, uh, Bay of Blood. Um, Five Dolls for an August Moon, like oh, I didn't see that. Blood and Black Lace. Uh, these uh, these ones that have something else going on, and what I sort of started calling it, like I said, just to make up a dumb term, was this sort of neo gothicness to it. Sure. Which the way I was thinking about it is that there there's this real sense in all of them, no matter where they're taking place or what time period they're set in, or what the scenario is of um. How to put it, kind of old meets new in a certain way, like old sure. either invading the new or new kind of spreading over the old. Um, like you could take that literally, like in Baron Blood, sure. where you have sure. the old Baron coming back into you know the 70s. Yeah. Um, but then you also could take you can look at it just stylistically, like in Kill Baby Kill, which is a period piece, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel like a classical gothic horror tale because stylistically yeah. it is vibing on a whole different level. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a very 70s. If you just jumped into a minute in the middle, you might not immediately be like, oh, this is set 100 years ago. Yeah. And like Even when they finally get into the old spooky house, just the way he uses the colors and the lights yeah. to pop everything out and the I think also the way the um, the way the sets and the color set up the actors yeah. to kind of foreground the artificiality of some of the performances like it's one thing if that happens in black and white and it's another thing if it happens in color yeah. which yeah. I mean both sounds obvious and also kind of dumb but it's it true sh- it feels like it shouldn't but also like it absolutely does yeah so I just started thinking about that and thinking about really I'm I'm you know as I'm always doing I started thinking about what would I do or what would we do if we were going to make one of these movies sure um, not a giallo I mean we, we should we could talk about giallo we could talk about making a giallo um, giallo giallo I, Brett told me no Craig someone told me it was giallo I asked at the beginning of my Martino I was episode it's a soft it was, G it was like Craig gelato and, uh, yeah yeah they they said that like you kind of skim across the G and leave a little bit of ye- a Y there because it's yellow, right? Giallo. 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 That's um, what we settled on. And then we all probably sound like pompous 
buttholes. <laughs> That's yellow. Uh, but yeah, if, no, so if I you just, use any of that, you have to part out. Uh, you have to cut out the part where I said bread, or else Craig will be really upset with me. <laughs> <laughs> just say both of their names real clean right now. Brett, Craig, 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 Brett, 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 Craig, Craig, Craig. <laughs> I'll drop the remix of that. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I wrote down a bunch of notes because uh, I was just like I said, washing dishes, so my mind was wandering, and I started thinking of all these different things that were interesting to me or worth salvaging for me for some other project. And I started thinking about how we could, I guess this is my challenge to you to join me in. Could we devise a film that merges as many different tropes as possible from this thing I'm calling neo-Gothic and what would it be and what would interest us? Yeah. And what would it look like? I think my first question is like, how would we approach it stylistically in this old meets new kind of way? Because Bava gets to do it in color and extremity of violence and music. Yeah. But all of those things, like the way that he did them are now pegged to a very particular period. They're pegged to his style, but then also to a very particular period in filmmaking. So if we just did that, we'd be, you know, Tarantinoing it up, yeah. and that's not interesting. Yeah, how do you how do you extract this neo gothic uh, ideal from a Baba pastiche? Right. Yeah, that's that's part of it for sure. Yeah. But I also don't want to just be like barren blood, but they have iPhones. Like I don't. <laughs> that's not. <laughs> that's not good either. Yeah. So I, I don't really have the answer to that one. Although I'm also not against. Uh, Utilizing some of the same techniques, of course. Like I, I wouldn't want to pastiche his color scheme. Sure. But at the same time, I think horror films are, for the most part, at least what I've seen of modern day horror films, not colorful enough. No, they're 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 so focused on browns and grays yeah. and blacks that I just I like I even ones that sound interesting to me. I don't want to watch them not because of whatever gross thing is going to be in them, but because it's just like, it sounds exhausting Yeah, yeah. to yeah. look at some of those frames for, you know, a whole movie. Right. So, yeah. It's like, give me some relief. You, you could almost, um, you could almost pull some pages out of, uh, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet for this project. Oh man. That reminds me. <laughs> and we shouldn't do it now. Because I actually want to go through this whole neo-gothic project. But have you seen Elvis? No. Did Baz Luhrmann make an Elvis movie? Yes, he did. All right. And I should watch it? Well, let me put it this way. I've only gotten, just because of my circumstances, I've only gotten to watch about an hour of it. And it's a three-hour movie because it's Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. Um, (laughs) But within the first minute, I was screaming. Okay. Uh, and the only reason I turned it off is because I had to go to work. <laughs> so. All right. I've written it down. I will. Yeah. I will seek that out. I really, really regret not seeing it in a theater. I'll no, tell really? you that much. Oh. I mean, Baz is definitely a the- theater film guy. Yeah. Which there are so few of these days. Oh, I know. Um, well, let's be one right now and okay. divide. Yeah. So I like that idea because I was, as you were saying, Baz Luhrmann, I started to percolate in my mind um, 
uh, what what's his what's his face? The French guy who makes uh, movies that uh, are very colorful and horrible to watch, uh, and he had the best title sequence of all time. Oh, um, his name is almost another person's name. He smokes cigarettes. Uh, right, I said he was French. Right, right. Sorry, <laughs> I can't think of his name, but I know exactly who you're talking about. Um, Gaspar Noé. Yes. Yeah. So the the, the ghost way... is his name is almost his name. <laughs> <laughs> the the way at Gaspar the Frenchy ghost parts of like Enter the Void. Yes. Deal with visuals and color. Yes. I don't want to. I don't want to do the uh, gimmicky part of like everything's first person and floating right. through and all blah 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 no but just like but i do think right. something in that sort of sense of camera work and that sort of sense of color and style is yeah. is important right yeah like stealing from that like french like cinema du look sort of idea of filmmaking um feels like definitely a part of a modern version of whatever baba was doing yeah yeah like something there's got to be some kind of neon yeah like it, it would be tempting to say like spring breakers but yes but again as with all of this with Gaspar Noe with with spring breakers you have you'd have to be really careful that you didn't just slide into the uh I don't know just into making like another teen slasher sure 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 which are always a little bit more colorful just by virtue of their subject matter of course yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to accidentally make. I know what you did last summer, because I don't. I to me, I don't want to like speed it up. Really, no. I, no, no, no. I it would, should have the sort of uh, if it's gothic, right? It should have right. that sort of gothic pacing. But I do like that these references we're talking about. Like Baba uses colors, right? But Baba yeah. mostly uses colors in his lights. The yes. world of Baba, the objects of Baba, are very like we said earlier right or, or or later depending on how we edit this uh the there's a lot of like rich objects but most of them are like old uh and his his costumes are good but i don't it's not like he's got edith head there like making stuff on set right yeah um but i think these things that we're sort of mentioning are are things where a lot of the color work is being done with objects and i think that that's a nice way to sort of separate ourselves from a baba pastiche for sure right is to have um it's also a nice way to like you know using a light to put colors on things and using a shirt to put colors on things are two very different ways of uh of applying that color to space right they they yeah they hit things differently uh and they move around around the frame differently um, so i think playing with both for sure but i think but i think for sure playing with both <laughs> yeah, yeah i think playing playing with both um maybe really paying attention to what I would be interested. This is something that I'm not technically minded enough to know enough about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I imagine that technologically speaking, we would have access to more, um, I don't know, for want of a better term, color technology sure. than Bob had. And, and not that I want to lean on technology, but but we live in the future, so we should. Well, we live in the future, and if there, I mean, I you know, I, I I understand enough about digital color timing to know how pervasive it is, yeah, and and how much the color of a film can be shifted. But instead of shifting everything to look quote 
better or more like what you wanted it to look like as a naturalistic uh, setting. Mm -hmm. I guess what I'm curious about is, are there color strategies that we would have access to technologically that would be weird enough to feel strange while not necessarily being so in your face that it's like, ha, look, we, you know, put a digital smear on this canvas. Sure. I mean, there's plenty of stuff you can, you could like, you know, this, this would be like relatively process intensive, but you could be like, we're taking one character and just desaturating them very slightly. Right. You yeah. can, you can do that sort of like extreme control. Um, which Bava would not have had access to, right? With film, yeah. you just can't. I mean, you could like, you can't, you can't realistically do that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I wouldn't want to do it just to do it, obviously. Sure. But, but just trying to think about what what strategies would we have at our at our fingertips for that stylistic uh, statement, the neo yeah. part. You know? well, here's I know I'm always pitching formalistic inanities for horror films, um, but. Uh, I love the idea of doing something like, and I've pitched very similar ideas to this to you before, uh, but something like um, if if we, I we have a budget for this movie. It's imaginary. Who cares? If we shoot the movie on thirty five millimeter, we could we could separately shoot the villainous character on a high quality digital cinema camera uh, in front of green screens and comp them in. Right. Yes. But we could light it really nicely so that it's really hard to tell that they're shot digitally and everything else is shot on film um, and that they're not in the same space. Right. Yeah. You could do something like that where it's like. But they would feel like they're not moving in time with. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, and I, I would love to do something like that. I remember some of the, the previous ideas you, you pitched like that. It makes me think I actually just I got semi obsessed with. Uh, have you ever seen the video? for Primus's uh, song Winona's Big Brown Beaver. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I'd never seen it before recently uh, huh. when it just like came up on YouTube because it was labeled a kid's song. Uh, sure. <laughs> and then who was playing and I Lucy's mean, the like, video... I don't want the boys <laughs> to be singing this at school. Uh, but the video, <laughs> the cowboy parts of the video are amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, where they're in those rubber suits and when I went and was reading about it is because they couldn't move. You probably know this, but because they couldn't move well enough to play the song in the suits, they yeah, had to shoot it um, sped up or like That's they had to so run the camera funny. faster so that they could move slower. And then when they put it back to normal speed, their movements just have this slight, yeah, it's what gives twitchy. it that slight weirdness like that. That's so good. Yeah. Cause I was watching this. I'm like, what? Why does this look so good? Yeah. Like, they're just, just cowboy suits, but something about it looks so good. And it, I, it's that, like, slight off-timing where they're yeah. not moving in the environment in the right way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that would be a great idea. I love that. We could even play with something like that, right? We could even be, like, the character who is our barren blood or whatever. Um, we're shooting separately, and we're shooting them at two-thirds speed, and then we're speeding them up in post. Yes, exactly. So they're, like, interacting with people, and the, it's all timed out correctly, and they look pretty much like they fit in the space, but everything about the way they're moving is just a little bit incorrect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I like that a lot. Um... 
one of can I one of just a really beautiful moment. There's a lot of really beautiful moments, but one of the ones that I wrote down is where they send the guy who drives the car out to try to fix the car a couple of times. Uh, they never get to leave. Everyone gets murdered. Um, but he yeah. at one point is, is working on the car and he starts getting it going. And we're watching him under the hood of the car doing things um, almost in the like Kenneth Angry way, but less sexy. Uh, and he starts <laughs> to have a conversation with um, with Telly Savalas. They're like talking to each other. And then he like stands up. He's like in the middle of saying something. He stands up and turns to look at him and he's not there. Uh, and he like looks and he's across a pond like 80 <laughs> yeah. feet away. And he's like, oh, you're over there. Telly Savalas yeah. is like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really tiny in the background. It's, it's so such good. a beautiful, it's totally unnecessary, beautiful moment. I also really love the way that they handle the death of the driver because you, the only thing you see is you see him fixing the car and then yeah. you see him hit his head. Yeah. Right. But like, not so much that he would die. He's just like, ow, yeah. I'm mad that that happened. And then the next time you see him, he's dead. Yeah. So like you have this lingering feeling of like, oh, did he hit like... Did somehow he get hurt fixing the car? But like, no, obviously he's murdered. Right. But it's like the it's like the driver uh, getting killed in the big sleep, where even Raymond Chandler, when he was pressed on it, he was like, I don't know, I don't know who who killed him. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's it might be a conscious quote or not, but it almost feels like, who killed him? I don't know why. I don't know. Yeah, like he's just it's that moment where he falls out of the out of the car, and then the but then the way it's treated, where the wife who was sleeping with him and cuckolding the husband is so bereft. Yeah. And so like, I feel like I don't see that very often in horror movies. Sure. Which then like strikes me as interesting because these are movies that are nominally about death, right? Like people are dying in them all the time. Yeah. But, and again, outside of, um, of say Lynch, Sure. The like histrionic, over the top sadness of the Palmer family. Yeah. Um, from Laura Palmer's death is the only thing I can think of that matches the way that Baba depicts this like sorrow. Yeah. Over the driver's murder. Yeah. Normally, you don't anger. take the time to do and, that. Normally, everyone is like, yeah. "Oh, they're dead. Moving up." And then they in, have in that horror. amazing sequence where. Like, in one sense, it's, uh, like, Telly Savalas puts the body uh, on, what is it, like a, like a, is it his uh, tray that he delivers the food? Yeah, <laughs> the, I think like so. A, like a dining tray? I think it is. <laughs> and he puts him on there, and he starts this procession that is, yeah. it it's echoes the fresco of the yeah. devil carrying the the dead away, but everybody's following along, and he's sort of, like, pausing and, like, not... It, it doesn't just turn into this symbol. It keeps right. messing up its own uh, construction. Sure. Where he keeps like interrupting it or pausing yeah. it and telling her to stop crying or yeah. then moving along a little bit too fast and then people are trying to catch up. So it's like you can see it in the hands of a, of a lesser, like dumber director who thinks like, oh, yeah. I found the perfect symbol. Just... Right. Like, oh, and then performing it like, hey, isn't that great? It's just like the Ah, painting. But he just keeps, like, fucking it up, which makes it more 
interesting. For it sure. makes it more of a resonant symbol yeah. that the symbol is there and it's reflecting these ideas, but then it's also human beings. Yeah, it's also it's doing also other things, right? Like, it's doing more work than yeah, just being. Like, <laughs> there's all of these this messiness in it. Yeah. Um, even within this space that is supposed to just be like a ghost dream state. Yeah. Um, and I, I got to say, like, the one thing that I don't love about the film, the one, like, the one wrong note I'll totally say that it pulls is the ending. The, on the airplane? On the plane. It is yeah. weird. It's a really, it's a really it just, Twilight zone final beat. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it doesn't feel... To me, it doesn't feel like it's actually of a piece with the rest of the film. Right. And I know that that part of it was like a, a real commercial coup, I think, to film on that airplane. Okay. So, like, they got <laughs> to do that. That that was a big deal, apparently. I, Bear I mean, Blood is that's the cool, first but movie. I don't care. <laughs> oh, no, no. That's you know? saying I don't care either. But yeah. I, I'm, I'm saying that might have been one of the uh, sort of, like, external circumstances sure. right like they're excited that about moved being able to... it into that shape like if, but, I, if i'm looking at the movie i'm thinking okay why did you do this yeah is this something that because i want to be gracious to a film sure always but especially if it's by somebody who i've decided is an artist who's worth my time sure. and so if something happens that strikes me wrong right you're like, like why, I'll, I'll why file am I reading my this judgment wrong? but right. but am i wrong that's yeah. my like i always want to just check i was like so there's something here that I'm not getting. Right. But it does feel like it does feel just like an extraneous ending yeah. that maybe had more to do with getting to shoot on that luxury airliner sure. than anything else. Because the film as as a work, to me, it beautifully ends yes. when she leaves that ruin. Yes. And you can't tell if she's a person or a ghost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's people around her, and maybe they see her, maybe they don't. Yeah. You don't know if she's actually, like, recovered from, like, a person who's gone through this experience and she's escaped. Right. Or if she really is just a piece of it that's sort of wandered free. Yeah. And then the, the whole airplane thing is, yeah, totally extraneous. It's very and I would, strange, yeah. So I um, just watched... Minutes ago, I just watched Blood and Black Lace just because it was sort of the next in my queue. Um, and yeah. then I was looking up, and I looked, it's like 1964, and I was like, that feels early. Yeah. So I looked, and it's, yeah. it's generally considered like the second Giallo film. Like, uh, there's another Baba yeah. before it that's like, oh, it's that the, was the, the yeah. girl who knew too little or Evil something. Evil Eye or the girl who knew too much, yeah. Which seems like that, which from the description just sounds like he's trying to make. A Hitchcock movie, um, which yeah. in a lot of ways, sort of all of these are just him trying to make Hitchcock movies. Hitchcock movies, but the uh, the Blood and Black Lace is like it's like the it's like the the Urgiala. It's like leaping fully formed from his head, right? It's like it's oh yeah, it's 1964, and it looks like a, a Giallo from 15 years later. It's it has every yeah. element that you associate with with the thing. So, like, clearly, yeah, it's like the whole genre is just people making that movie. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I have I have an example, I think, from a Bava movie, which is, it's just, it's a small moment, but just an example of um, Bava as the director, right, presumably, or someone high up, was like, we need uh, a fresco with Telly Savalas' face on the devil, <laughs> which in and of itself is a fine idea, but whoever yes. made that fresco was a genius. <laughs> um... 
I am I I I can't remember for sure, um, but I think Baba did. Did he? he I think he tended to paint his what own paintings. Did he also do the painting in Baron Blood that's all slashed up? Because I would say the same thing about that. That again, like textually, that idea is a nice idea, but that actual object is like is really well done. Yeah, I don't know if he painted that one. I know that he. I mean, the thing about Baba and the thing that is the easiest to um, appreciate or admire sure. is uh, his technical craft. Sure. And uh, particularly his technical craft when it comes to effects work. Yeah. Um, like, he paints his own matte paintings Whoa, for... Really? Yeah. Um, and they're amazing. That's crazy. Like, Lisa and the Devil, the yeah. end where she's coming out of that, like, ruined... Yeah. Uh, castle. Yeah. Almost all of that is matte painting. Sure. That she's just like standing right in very carefully between. Yeah. Um, and he he would do that uncredited. That is for friends productions all the time. That's an element of cinema that I don't even understand. Like, <laughs> did, did they just set the camera up and then paint yeah, the whole matte painting. You just leave the camera there for two days while you're painting that matte painting that doesn't seem like no, no, how no. you would do it how else would you do no, it no, no. you, you paint set it, up a frame you... and then just assume you can figure out what it's going to look like in camera that also seems impossible <laughs> I don't get it I mean all. you can take a you can take a photograph of the setting uh huh because it's about what right, but that doesn't tell you what the space three feet in front of the camera will look like when superimposed on the space in the distance <laughs> because you're dealing with like different, you know, different lenses have different have different angles of view, yeah, yeah, and the way they're yeah. going to warp it, and the way you're going to see space well, I mean, through there. But but in but when you're going to use a matte painting, you're going to use a long lens. It's going to compress the space first of all. Okay, and you're going to paint the, you're going to paint the matte on a piece of glass. Yeah, where you, I mean, it's like sidewalk artists, right? Like where you can do a painting where if you're walking up yeah. to it. You doesn't look like anything until you hit a certain angle yes. and the optical illusion. I get that. Yeah, creates this sense of depth or. But you have to be it's, looking it's, through it's, the lens to see that angle. There's yes. no, there's no other way to see it. <laughs> so, so you're either setting the camera up and just leaving it there so they can look through it to make sure they're doing things right, or you're doing magic. <laughs> I mean, I think there's another option, which is to take no. a photograph. No, <laughs> with a similar lens, or to or to, to be experienced enough with a to know. Lens. Like sure. yes, you're going I mean, to I think that's also you're going is, to is look knowing. through the camera with uh, it, it's knowing enough. But like if you look through the camera with the with the lens on, yeah. and you see what you're looking at, uh. um, yeah, you can take a photograph and then you can be painting a map but obviously it's done poorly like people sure. do it poorly you have to have some element of magic to do it right yeah. and bava did it better than anybody that's crazy uh, so yeah like i mean and even I, I don't know why i'm arguing against you because even the people who worked with him on it would talk about it and they're like i don't know how that like once he just he he took three days off and made the painting yeah and then it fit exactly the way that he thought it would yeah you know, I don't understand. So yes, there is something magical and special to that. That's. I wish that was a thing they still taught. I wish that was. A, but like everyone who was good at it is dead because we don't care anymore. 
I mean, we do it digitally. Yeah. That's the thing people do digitally. But I wish that we still had. I wish I could go to, like, effects school 1974. Well, I feel like actually schools are what killed it, right? Like, the film sure. school sure, 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 is sure. what actually destroyed it. Because instead of just learning from the practitioners on the sets, yeah. you have people going to film school to learn how to make films. Right. And then going off and thinking that they know how, as opposed to, like, working up with people who actually have done it. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and Baba, like, again, giving Tim Lucas credit, a lot of credit, <laughs> there's a reason why his book has so much of Baba's family history in it, because his father was a cinematographer f- since Whoa, I didn't know that. the beginning of film. Okay. Um, and was involved in every aspect of filmmaking since the beginning of film. So, like, the Baba family really is, in, like, right, you can look at the whole around, history of right? film through them. That's yeah, so yeah, Lamberto's still running around, and yeah. Roy. Is there a, <laughs> Roy is there a fourth gen? I didn't know Roy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lamberto's son has an Italian-sounding name, but he goes by Roy, which I find so funny. That's Roy Bava. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, you you can use them as a lens to look at the entirety of film history. Sure. Um, so, and he has he brings that uh, he brings that history to bear when he makes films right like he's literally sometimes he's literally bringing in like cameras his father used in 1916 that are everybody's like what are these things they're huge but they get a certain kind of shot that you can't get on the other camera he did that on inferno actually for argento he did a bunch of effects work on that and uh, depending on some sources when argento was fucking out of his mind on back medication because he hurt his back. Baba yeah. took over and like directed some scenes, but that's funny. Um, I actually reminded me that I I wanted to ask you. I feel like it's perfect to me. I feel having just sort of immersed myself in Baba again. Yeah. Um, I feel like Argento is always just uh like lurking around the corner. Yeah. Yes. And kind of challenging me of like, I know you respect Mario. Yeah. But you like me better, don't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and sometimes I want to say no. Right. Uh, but when it comes to the films that I really love, I think it's appropriate that Mario Baba worked on Inferno. Sure. And did a bunch of stuff with Dario. Because that's that to me is, is a pinnacle of a certain kind of filmmaking. Yeah. I think, and you can credit it to Dario Argento, but Bava's right there too. I think that there's a reason that like we said earlier, right. It's like, it's, it seems like the genre explodes out of the forehead of, of blood and black lace, right? Like it's all, everything is there. Um, yeah, but it's not a genre that people begin to care about until Argento shows up. (laughs) Right. And I think there are, I think there are reasons for that. I do think that he, he is very much working within the world that Mario Bava built, right? Like they, they have similar yeah. ideas. They have similar uh, aesthetic ideals. Um, they have similar conceptual ideas. Although Bava, it seems like for, I watched several, but not all of his movies. Obviously there's a million of them. It feels like a lot of his are, uh, they're either, either more in that sort of classic, like it's about crime m- motif 
or there is some mysticality, but it's like a touch of mysticality. And Dario obviously like spends a lot of time all the way down that hallway, right? Like knocking on the last couple doors, being like, it's immortal witches. Everyone's confused. You have to read a well, book and then the book is from the past. And then, it, and then your brain is full of spiders, right? He like definitely goes further in that direction. But, but in every other way, he's, he's very much sort of trading in Baba's world. Uh, well, it's interesting because originally the the dichotomy was the opposite way. Oh, really? Um, because when Argento hit with, uh, what was the first one? The bird with the crystal plumage. Sure. Um, he was making crime thrillers. He okay. was like, they were giallos where, like Blood and Black Lace, where there is like people killing people yeah. and there's a mystery involved but but what argento had was this incredible uh aesthetic sense um that i mean i've talked about and written about before this this overall infusing uh every space and every uh structure with this unease this feeling yeah. of terror yes that i think is very much I think it's very much a part of how Dario Argento like just feels about life. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he was absolutely, as you said, he's working in the world that Bava created. Yeah. Uh, but Bava had moved on from once he did Blood to Black Lace, he moved on to do a bunch of super more overtly supernatural. Yeah, interesting. Trailers like Kill Baby Kill and Baron Blood and like Bay of Blood was a um, an outlier. Oh, okay. Really? Because that's I, I'm looking um, at the ones I watched. Like Lisa and the Devil, I guess is is, is supernatural, but like not in the oh, same sticky way sure. that Argento movies are. His movies are sticky. Baba's movies are not. Well, that it's sticky. just funny because when he when he finally went to do Suspiria and Inferno, it was like, oh, now he's doing Bava movies. That's yeah. Like that was considered a movie because those aren't giallos, right? And sure. that was actually it's like, oh, he's moving away from the giallo thriller is, and he's doing his supernatural movies, which he doesn't usually do what i find interesting is the way those supernatural movies point towards the way that he approaches his thrillers like tenebrae which comes right after um suspiria and inferno is not actually supernatural there's nothing about the plot feels like it is (laughs) but to me it feels like it is the it is the third film in that trilogy yeah like everything feels unworldly and strange in a way that the supernatural elements of the plot just highlight right in the or like emphasize all of his movies feel like they're happening in like an eldritch world regardless of if we're engaging with that it it feels like his movies were all made by a prey animal there's just like yes everything is everything is scary and no one has any control Yes. Although his earlier films, it's less so, right? It, like it builds to a crescendo sure. and then he has to move into that supernatural realm to do Suspiria and Inferno yeah. where he has to, I mean, he basically does have to move further into Baba's world. And then, like I said, call on Baba himself sure. to make his best film. Yeah. Um, Inferno. Um, but uh, what was I going to say before? Anyway. I, I think what I'm I think what I'm feeling though is is just that just to sort of continue that thought is that in Bava's films there are at least in the ones that I saw that had supernatural elements which looking back is is just Baron Blood and Lisa and the Devil um, okay because the other ones I watched were uh, 
I watched Bay of Blood and I watched Blood and Black Lace. Uh, and then I had already seen, obviously, Diabolic and Black Sunday. Right. Uh, yeah. And and Black Sunday, I guess, also has sort of a has some supernatural. Oh, very much. Yeah, yeah. But like, yeah. but but in all of in all three of those, really, in Black uh, Black Sunday, Lisa and the Devil, and Baron Blood, it feels like the world is not supernatural. And a supernatural thing has been invited into the world, and that is a problem that has to be rectified. Yes. Whereas in Argento's yes. world, everything is supernatural, and yes. there were these little yes. not supernatural people who are stuck there uh, to, to be rendered apart <laughs> by the yeah. giant horrifying machine. Or even of they the are part of it, world. and they just don't sure. like they don't see it or whatever. Right? They yeah. don't. They don't imagine um, that they can be it, but they are. I mean, I, I think in the way that you you mentioned earlier that, like, in a certain way, all of these things are trying to be Hitchcock films. Yeah. Um, I think that Baba and Argento both are, they're both interpreters of Hitchcock, and they're yeah. both... Um, I, like and disciple sounds too strong, but like they're both they're both taking things from Hitchcock and trying to carry them forward in their own way. For sure. Um, Bava, I think, takes a certain uh, kind of irony from him, like a lightness. To sure. it. Like they, I think this is sort of what you're speaking to is that all of this films. It's not that there's quotes around the supernatural stuff. They never feel campy or like no. the film doesn't believe in them no, no no but there is there is a um like a a a space for movement like ironic movement around these concepts sure that doesn't exist in an argento film where argento yeah. i i've i think takes hitchcock's style and turns it into a metaphysics yes like yeah. where it, it is everything is suffused and boxed in whereas bava is able to take it as tools yeah. to experiment and do other things i mean in that way in some in some ways bava is freer than argento oh, for because sure. <laughs> argento's trapped in argento's world and yeah. bava is imagining different ways that you know to to if not flourish, then uh, enjoy yourself sure. in some ways, right? Like he, he's imagining more spaces for interest and vibrancy uh, within this sort of Hitchcockian uh, arrangement, whatever, <laughs> however you want to call it. Sure. This, the Hitchcockian prison that you're in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think that's... I mean, I also think that one of the things about Bava is that he's not... He is not interested, really, in storytelling. No. Which is a blessing, yeah. obviously. He is interested like, in he, a chain of the events. Ex he's very much interested yes. in, like, things causing things. But not but in a way But he's not that, really that interested you, like, in, like, yeah. <laughs> conveying that story. No. Like, somebody like um, Spielberg... Sure. I feel like their ultimate downfall as 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 much vibrancy as mm -hmm. he has mm -hmm. in his best work. Yeah. Jaws. He's ultimately sure. I mean that's that's up there. Yeah. Um but he's ultimately so concerned with the like technical aspects of getting across what he wants yes. to. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, if you got to the end of a Spielberg story and you didn't understand parts of it, he would be sad. Yeah. Whereas I, I, I think that 
like maybe there is someday a magical person who can do all of it at once. But at this point, I think that when you are that focused on communication, yeah, you only have so much bandwidth. Of course. And it takes away from exploring and doing things that you are interested in doing. Sure. Right. So like Spielberg's vibrancy as a filmmaker gets blunted by the fact that he is obsessive about telling a story, communicating. It limits his imagination. It limits his ability to just explore what would make, you know, what would be interesting to him aesthetically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Bava is somebody on the opposite end. He's more, once he, there's like an idea, he's more or less freed right. from you know, needing to wrap that story up. Yeah. He like has a story and he's putting it in there, but that's not what the movie's about. Yeah. That's not why we're all and showing I, up. <laughs> when he just, he, he enters that pantheon of people, you know, artists who care about what they care about so much and then yeah. don't care about anything that isn't that. Yeah, Exactly. Which and I, I you you love watching the oh I just love watching those things sort of fall by the wayside yeah as they get you know knocked out of the way of the thing they want to do yeah 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 <laughs> yeah you could watch um, other elements kind of crumble <laughs> yeah and like I I feel like as a viewer you can get hung up on those elements sure and like get stuck in the in the detritus and be like oh no I'm trying to figure out what the story is and you're not letting me but right. if you can just kind of let it wash away then. You yeah. can get to the what's important. Well, yeah, because if you're getting stuck up in a thing that the movie isn't dealing with, then you're watching it wrong, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's, it's you. You you should try again later. Go watch a Ron Howard movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, do some jumping jacks, yeah. and then come back and give it another swing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so for, for neo-Gothic, uh, one of the things I was thinking about is, um, I guess one of the, one of the central qualities of this kind castle. of film. We need a castle. Well, that's actually what I was going to say is that even if it's not a castle, there has to be some relationship to history. Sure. Right. Whether it's or like an ancestral. old amulet or like a, yeah. Oh, a bloodline. Yeah. Like it could be ancestral family history. It could be literally like old spaces it can be a town with a legend or it could just be old knowledge i mean you know i'm i'm always a sucker for old knowledge forbidden knowledge weird knowledge sure um but one of the things i really liked on this rewatch of barren blood um well it's sort of a bunch of things but all connected to this idea um first of all the they bring the Baron back because they have these parchments with yeah. these old incantations on them, right? Yeah. And there's not a lot of... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's there's not a lot of... Uh, Artifact? No, 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 no. Like, it's very casually Oh, like presented. in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like in the movie. Yeah, he's just like, oh, I have these old... They were my grandfather's. There's not a lot I of ceremony. Them, There's not I'd a lot of like, nonsense about it. They're just like, oh yeah, here they are. Yeah, let's go try them. Like that'll yeah. be spooky. And I, I, that I don't know. That's the thing that I like of people who are attracted to this weird old knowledge, but they don't respect it enough to yeah. believe in it. Yeah. So they they tread on it and it goes badly. Mm-hmm. But I also love that they the first time they do it. They get spooked and they do. They say the spell that puts him back. Yeah, 
And it's like if the movie ended there, it's like, okay, great. We uh, we got spooked. We brought the Baron back, but then we, we sent him back. Took it's care fine. Of it. um, but then they just can't leave it alone because they're so interested in it. Yeah. And because they felt like something happened. Yeah. And so they're starting to maybe believe in it a little bit, but they're still not but respecting like, it enough. Who knows what happened? Yeah. Especially Peter is yeah. like, oh, this is fun. Um, yeah, he's a real maniac. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I really liked that aspect even, of it. Even at the end when they're like, we have to take care of this. And he's like, yeah, but we should just talk to him for a while. <laughs> I know. He's like, it'd be so amazing to learn something from him. <laughs> How often do you get to talk to a dead guy? Come on. Yeah. Um, and they're like, no. <laughs> he's murdering us. <laughs> but that was the other thing I liked is that there's not a lot. Like, there's a little bit of doubt about the Baron coming back from other people, yeah. but not a ton. No. Because. They're all like, oh, yeah, that. There's horrible murders happening, and there's <laughs> not another real handy explanation. Right. And they're like, okay, so let's say the Baron did come back. Let's figure that out. Yeah. Um, which I also really like. Everyone, right? Everyone except the police, right? Everyone except the police. Yeah, like, exactly. Shut I mean, up. Yeah, the police are just useless. So, <laughs> which is another great little bit. Yeah. Um, but there, so there's this um, attraction to sort of forbidden old history, yes. but a lack of respect for it yes. that pays horrible dividends. And then there's just sort of an acceptance once the history starts to intrude upon the modern space yeah. that it's there and we just have to figure out what that means and what to do and what how to deal with it. Yeah. Which are all things I really liked about that Which rewatch. Because you could spend most of the movie with Peter and the love interest. Elke Summers. Yeah. Sorry, I, mean, she, I feel like she's the worst for not knowing her name. Performer. I just can't remember the character's name. <laughs> yeah. Um, you could spend most of the movie with the two of them going around trying to be like, hey, there's a problem here, and everyone else being like, shut up, you kids. You know? Oh, yeah. Uh, and I feel and like, I feel I've, like seen I've seen that, that movie, movie 500 times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, that's, and it's not fun, right? That's never the fun part of a movie. And so. Ava. Ava. I was going to say Elsa, but that's because her name is, her actual name is Elka. Yeah. And then there was Ava, (laughs) Elka, and I was like, wait, is something else is in there? Um, And yeah. Yeah. So, and the other little piece of that that I, I really liked was that at first it seems like the major... Like, the Baron comes back, but he doesn't come after Peter and Ava right away. Yeah, he and just he does murders. Yeah, and it's just, like, townspeople yeah. who knew, who all of whom would have fucking known better than right. to go read an incantation about the Baron. Yeah. And that's made really clear in the beginning when Peter comes in and he's all, like, kind of chipper and like, ooh, is this where my my ancestral yeah. murderous uncle lived? And the, uh, the, the other guy, the older doctor guy, says something along the lines of, like, motherfucker, this is serious business to the people who yeah. live here, so watch your step. Yeah. <laughs> and and he's, he like, doesn't I kinda, he's like, I agree with you that this is sort of a lighthearted thing, but, like, the people who live here do not feel that way. Yeah. He is he murdered their relatives. Yeah. And so then Peter doesn't respect that, but he's right. not the one who pays right away. They are. Yeah. He's just like he's dropped into this space and he's creating this pain all around him that's rippling out and I really like that concept. 
yeah. of playing with that sort of. Um, uh, it's like it's like having to pay for your hubris, but initially, it's not. Like eventually, he flies too close to the sun. But at first, it's like it's like he just pulled the sun too close to the earth, and first it's melting other countries. <laughs> yeah, he's basically just negligently causing homicides. Yeah, you know he's he's driving home and he doesn't know what that was under his tires, and he's not stopping to look. Right in a court in a world where things like this could happen. He could be taken to court for manslaughter. Absolutely. Right? It is It is his doing that a murderous monster was brought into being. Yeah. So I, I feel like the fact that there's so many things that we like about the way the Peter character is utilized in Baron Blood. Yeah. I feel like that answers my next question. <laughs> To you, but I, so I, I was trying to divide this up into like a who, what, where, when kind of situation to figure out our scenario. Yeah. And the, the who question is essentially what, who would we want or what kind of a person would we want as the main character or characters? And I, I, I jotted down real quick just to sort of like the array of sure. characters that we have. And because they all are cliches or tropes, right? They're, they're things that I've seen in many, many other films. There's in Barren Blood, there's somebody returning to an estranged, you know, homeland, like coming back to a home he never knew. Mm-hmm. And so he's a stranger in a land that's supposed to be for him, but it's not. And that sort of creates the tension. Mm-hmm. Whereas at least in The Devil, you have, you know, it's the tourist who. Yeah. She is a stranger in a strange land and she's just wandering through. And, but it turns out she's essentially a tourist in her own life and death because she's right. wandered into this space that has enveloped her and maybe always had her. Yeah. Um, five dolls for an August moon is like a more that's closer to a giallo type okay. film. Um Really, the the closest uh, thing, the closest relation you could call it would be like an Agatha Christie movie, because okay. it's a group of people secluded uh, off somewhere. They're, they're on an island, and you know there's various plot devices for why they can't leave the island. And they've all gathered there for an ostensibly good reason, or like a reason that makes sense, but then everybody has a secret, and there's weird things happening and then everybody starts dying one by one. Um, So like that would be an ensemble piece where you, the focus is more on getting all of these kinds of people to somewhere secluded. Yeah. Um, Bay of blood is also an ensemble piece, but it's not about getting one group of people to a secluded place. It's more about all of these disparate people who are driven by their own tragic flaws or by some sort of pervasive, evil force yeah. to destroy each other. Yeah. Um, yeah, it almost feels, in Bay of Blood, it almost feels like the Bay itself is the villain, right? It's like everyone who comes to this space is, yeah. for some reason, Which is murdered another space, or driven to murder. It's another space, too, that its own kind of historical space, right? Like, yeah. you can have a castle, yeah. or you could have a bay or another sort of natural space that's been there way longer than any people Yeah, that has seen untold events I like that, that can come back on you. Um, 
and then the the last one I wrote down, I, there, there were other films, but I, I sort of tossed aside Blood and Black Lace because it really doesn't fit what we're talking about. Like stylistically, okay. there's lots of things that we could look at and borrow from it, but it, it really is one of the more giallo-ish films. It sure. doesn't have that same uh, gothic sense to it. Uh, but Kill Baby Kill or yeah. Operation Fear, the the main character is that's the alternate title. That's uh, the like actual a, like original like title. Like it's a spy mission. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the that's the original Italian title. That's a terrible name. <laughs> <laughs> Does Operation mean something else in Italian? Uh, I I think it's the might Operation be when they put leeches on that girl. Well, I think it might be referring to the fact that he's a doctor. That's terrible. That's, I look, that is yeah. Jason. That is almost exactly the same title as Diagnosis Murder. <laughs> Dick Van Dyke is still alive. You want to get we him? Can, we can see if we can get him for this. Yeah, he could be like our Baron Blood. Let's he pitch come, it to him. It's like, look, this, this will be your Muck Lake. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he was a Bernie bro too, so we could we could relate to him on that level. Perfect. Um, oh, but, but Kill Baby Kill has one of the more. Um, traditional kind of gothic main characters which is a professional who's arriving right. in a strange place to do an ostensibly like normal job then finds a mystery right right and it's right. and it's something outside of his understanding right unlike unlike the barren blood guy who's like haha it's funny to think about these things he's like actively rejecting the idea of ghosts and whatnot yeah yeah because um, he's a doctor yeah, Peter and Baron Blood actually has a lot of um, similarities, I feel like, with uh, Lon Chaney Jr.'s Lawrence Talbot from The Wolfman. Okay, yeah. Because in The Wolfman, it's, you have this totally incongruous, estranged son yeah. who is the most American person who could ever live coming yeah. back to his European homeland to see, like his Eastern European homeland to see his father and yeah. then him coming back and him not respecting the sort of superstitions and beliefs of the locals turns him into a monster that then starts killing the locals. Yeah. That's true. And yeah, so it, it, it actually, I was like, well, why, there's interesting parallels here. Yeah. Um, and I'm obviously very attracted to that character, but I also am a sucker yeah. for like a professional coming into a situation yeah, those like, are both really appealing. And there's that one sequence in Kill Baby Kill where he's running through the house. I mean, that's the best moment in that and movie. The, it's the best moment in, like, a dozen movies. <laughs> <laughs> like, any given dozen movies, that'll still be the best moment, where he's just running through a room, and it's so perfectly shot and cut for him to run through the door and come right back into the same room. And then he yeah. starts running so fast that he starts catching up to himself before he leaves the room. It's so so good. good. Oh, my God. Um... And that that kind of thing would be important to me uh, thematically or mood wise, like sure, some sort of scenes that bend reality, but in a in a way that isn't uh, too blatant, right? Like sure, like it it would be one thing if like oh no, the, the room starts to CGI melt and it's all switching around because reality is different, but right. this is literally just you cut from him leaving a room to him coming back into the same room. Like, simple yeah. technology, simple performance, and it melts your brain. Yeah. Um, and that that yeah, would so be the kind of thing I'd be looking for. 
it's also a specific subversion of cinematic language, which I, which on like a metatextual angle, angle appeals to me also, right? Like, oh yeah, mel- melting a room with CGI is just using a tool that's okay. Yeah, but like, but doing an edit in a way that is wrong in order to create something that is correct is great. Yeah. Oh no, no I love it. It's. Yeah. Uh, it honestly reminds me of one of my favorite moments from uh, Oscar Micheaux's, uh "Within Our Gates." Okay, which the um, it was like I know Oscar end- Micheaux, I've never, I didn't, I thought all of his films were lost until recently. I heard that there were some, but I've never been able to find any of them. I've seen zero of his movies, and I am upset. You've about seen it. one of his movies, really? Because I saw yeah, with you one. in Scott's class. Oh, I didn't realize. Yeah, that. we watched Body and Soul. Oh. Um, with, where, uh, with where can I find shit? What um, great great singer that I love? Paul Robeson playing the preacher, oh. who's like the the evil preacher. Uh, but the, the, that one's on the Criterion Paul Robeson box. Well, that doesn't help me. I can well, I can send it to you. Okay, yes, yeah, my dear to boy. Um, oh, but I was going to say that one of my favorite moments in Within Our Gates is this uh there's this scene it's his that was his answer film to birth of a nation like most directly sure and there's a scene where there is a black family who's hiding out in the woods and uh like i don't think they're actually like according to hoyle Klansmen, but just a bunch of like murderous whites find them sure and they're attacking them and their their son, like young teenage son, starts to run away, and one of the white guys shoots him. And the the actor playing the son does the he performs what at that time, like nineteen eighteen, nineteen seventeen, whatever. Um, what at that time would be a death, like. Sure there's a shot and it cuts to him throwing his arms up and falling down on the ground and then it cuts back to other action and so cinematically speaking in the language of the time he is dead yeah and then a few seconds later it cuts back to him and he like pokes his head up with a smile and gets up and runs (laughs) (laughs) and i love that scene because it really what to me and maybe i don't know if michelle was actually thinking about this nobody knows but to me it really was like not just refuting Griffith and Birth of a Nation story-wise, but formally as well. Sure. Because Griffith's shots, if that had happened in a Griffith film, that would mean that person was dead. They all line up to function in a certain way towards a certain point, and Michaud is is disrupting what you would think is the normal function. Yeah. Which is why he always got tagged. This is this. I'm I'm coming back to it. This is why the functions and works always annoys me because it always ends up with people like Oscar Michaud, who for decades and decades and decades was that incompetent filmmaker. Sure. When I don't think he was incompetent at all. No. I think yeah, he yeah. was experimenting. I think yeah. he was creating these really resonant moments that were not only different from what the norm was, but were actively opposed to the norm. Well, right, because that's why they felt weird. The norm at that point, and also still now, is exclusively like the grammar of film was found and decided by white men, right? Yeah. 
so like to be a black filmmaker part one of the things that you could do is to be like how can i make a movie how can i how can i find the grammar of, of cinema how can i find meaning in these things that isn't built on the castle of white men right what can i yeah. do that is that is that is black cinema yeah or whatever um but that that's all to say that um what do you think about character i mean we could try to squish all of these together that's all that's always what i do (laughs) right i uh my first my gut reaction to a what's his name paul uh like baron blood guy is i'm like intrinsically that character has to be an entitled white guy you know Mm -hmm. and i and i when possible don't like looking at or thinking about white guys (laughs) Uh, Fair. So I don't mind if we... Because... But it's like, there's... Who else could that... You could make that character anybody, right? But it makes the most sense for it to be just the most entitled dipshit. Well, unless we tweaked it slightly where it doesn't have to be... Like, he's the most entitled dipshit. Yeah. But you could have somebody who isn't making a lot of the same mistakes they would just I that's true. by the end of the film you react to differently it. to yeah. those mistakes yeah. it's not that they wouldn't make the mistakes but their 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 uh their interaction with the results yeah. might be different yeah um because you could think i the one of the films it's not a bava film but um in suspiria mm-hmm. you have um the main character arriving Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that's an important part is the arrival. Yeah. Like, you have to have, have an arrival into this liminal space, yeah, right? Absolutely. Whether it's a group of people arriving on an island or one person arriving in a new town. Yeah. That arrival is really important. Yes. And I could see, like, a Susie Bannon type character. Mm hmm merging that kind of character with Peter from Baron Blood yeah, where you yeah. have like uh, a woman who's coming to this space whether it, whether it's an ancestral home or just a, a new space to explore something for herself yeah um but don't make her quite as um you know wide-eyed and and shaken as Susie is in, sure. in Suspiria you give her more of a of a confidence more of a of a moving into this new space yeah. and that that confidence is slowly not taken apart but like shown to be built on certain false edifices and she would have to have to build a new confidence yeah. after moving through these horrible mistakes and that. feeling the responsibility for for what goes on around her yeah i think that's really what it is right because you could do the things that he does at the beginning of the movie out of like playfulness out of uh out of an intellectual curiosity out of a sort of exploratory whatever and also right it's it's not necessarily like reading words on a piece of paper you know to be cursed right it could be yeah putting putting an amulet into a hole that's shaped like an amulet or whatever um but yeah i think i think a sense of like ju- just acknowledging that people are dying because of her choices i think would make a huge t- would be a huge <laughs> yeah. difference right and and i think part of what works in barren blood is that you have even though Peter's sort of the the main character 
at the yeah. start. Yeah. Um, Ava becomes a, a very strong character for sure. To me, like she's the one who, when he shows up, she actually is the one who does understand the history and has this respect. And even yeah. as he's doing it, she is laughing, but then she also has this trepidation about it. Mm-hmm. And there's aspects of her character that we could look to uh, yeah. of somebody who. I, I think the key is for both of them. Mm-hmm. There's this dual attraction to this ancient evil. Yes. Yeah. And distance from it, either from just a lack of belief in the supernatural, uh, it's overly academicized, it, or or you're just you know flippant. Right. It's this attraction to something that you don't understand and don't respect enough or in the right way. And that might be, it may be that the, like the most modern version of doing a thing like this is that rather than sort of just uh, casual flippancy, it's based on sort of ironic distance, right? It's like a, it's like a, Oh, I'm not supposed to do this thing, but like whatever ancestors. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, actually, uh, that 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 chapter the note that I wrote. It could even um, be like, I, this is all I've received from my. I you could you could be. I here we go. I'm getting more and more modern by the minute. It could be oh, like, yeah. uh, if it is something like a castle, a decrepit castle on a haunted lake, whatever. Um, it could be a thing where it's like my ancestors had all this. This land is still in a trust, um, but no one will like sell it. No one will dissolve the trust. Uh, there's like old ideas that it had to be kept and but no one in my family wants to to be the, the oh, keeper yeah. uh, so now it's just this like trust that everyone ignores and kids throw rocks through their windows um, and I'm going to come back and and figure out how to liquidate this because I'm trying to live under late stage capitalism uh, and and what good is this is this quote unquote haunted land that nobody has any use for uh, I'm going to sell it to a real estate developer. Oh, I love that too. Cause it, <laughs> that gives a reason to come back. Yeah. Yeah. That's beyond just like, I'm interested or someone died. Yeah, it's not like just that actually creates, uh, it creates a real life, uh, aspect to it too. Of sure. like sitting in rooms and going over forms and talking to advisors. Yeah. And if and being like, I have to stay in Romania until this land deal is done. So I'll stay in this castle that I own because I don't have any money, but I have a castle. <laughs> well, and then there's the alternate idea of if we don't set it in Europe, if it's in America. Sure. sure. It doesn't have to be a castle. It can be an old mansion of some sort. Yeah. And then you have to deal with the fact that this family, I'm presuming a white American family. Oh, sure. It's has like plantation house or owned, something. Or plantation house or even just literally anywhere. Like, sure. if a family has owned this much land for that yeah. long, right. they had to do something to get it, right? Yeah, like, yeah exactly. There were, other, there were people there before. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so you can deal with, I mean, you don't even have to deal with it explicitly, but you can sure. bring up all of the ideas of ownership of land and ownership yeah. of huge amounts of land and like sure. who gets to decide what to do with that. Yeah. Uh, and you can have competing people or, or arguments for like what should be done with the land. And you have yeah. this main character at the center of that 
really fighting also within herself because she does just want to like, I want to just unload it. I don't want to be connected yeah. with it anymore. But then she starts to feel that's how we could also bring in ideas of responsibility. Yes. yes. Even aside from the murders, the murders, you know, concretize it into a metaphor or whatever. But she's starting to like figure out, well, what is my responsibility to the fact that even though I didn't buy this land, I'm still in control of it. Yeah. And it's like, and I shouldn't be. Right. But what do I do about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, how am I tied to the legacy of this? Of this, which on one level is just familial wealth, right? Which is Mm -hmm. already super loaded. Uh, But then also, like, it's haunted. (laughs) I was really struck watching bay of blood i was just i was struck by it because in many ways it as we sort of talked about already right is his uh his structural format is not very concerned with getting through a story or being in the shape of traditional movie shape um uh-huh. but so much of what is in bay of blood not all of it but a, a good chunk near the beginning of bay of blood feels like he's laying out how slashers will operate uh, oh but yeah, then, but then he just walks away from it. He spends like eight minutes being like, "Here's, here's what uh, Camp Crystal Lake is like." Now, here's a totally other movie. I'm yeah, well, I I think that's actually one of the, it's one of the interesting things about Bava's uh, history. Yeah. We, I mean, we touched on it a little bit with like um, the girl who knew too much and Blood and Black Lace. That he, he's invents these genres and then moves on. Yeah, and then just dips And then other people spend their whole lives in genres that he created because he was just making movies. Yeah, he's just making Like, he wasn't making, like, I'm gonna make a movie that is this kind of movie. He's like, no, I'm making the movie I want to make. I'm I'm doing something that interests me. And then other people are get stuck in that back current. Yeah. They get really excited about elements and then and then live there. Um... Yeah, like, I, I think that... I mean, it's it's well-documented uh, how much the Friday the 13th uh, took from Bay of Blood. Sure. Um, including, like, like direct shots like, oh, really? and sequences. To, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, there's whole kill sequences that are just recreated in in the early films. Um, and you, I, But you can get... Even if you don't know that, you get the sense watching it. You're like, oh. Yeah. Oh, that's where the... Like, this is absolutely, this played, you know, in all of these, um, like, grindhouse theaters and out-of-the-way theaters, and the yeah. people who then created the slasher genre, yeah. this is what they were looking at. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but And they're, like, getting rid of all of the sort of adult <sighs> politics of it. Right. Like this is this is one of a couple of his movies that I watched that is fundamentally they're like, oh, we're making it look like there's a serial killer or like a sex pervert murderer. But really, it's like someone did something bad and that was drawn into a series of murders that ends up destroying them. (laughs) Yeah. A funny funny thing for him to revisit multiple times. Um, But that is is a thing he likes. Yeah. I mean, Bay of Blood, to me, the first time I saw it, it was, to me, it was impressive in the way that, um, well, I, not to always be comparing, but it's, it's a useful tool. The, the way we're talking about Argento uh, sort of infusing all of the space of the films with evil and then the people are trapped within it. Yeah. Um, to me, what was interesting about Bay of Blood was that 
the the evil, if you will, or or the or the it's not even necessarily evil. The the pain, sure, all stems from the individual people. Yeah. Um, it it stems from like this uh, human messiness, but it, it's all pervading in the same way that Argento's uh, spaces are. Sure, sure. But it, it's, but it is, um, it's distributed throughout all of these different, uh, in some ways, very understandable and relatable human behaviors. Sure. That start out as things of like, oh, I want this. Oh, I need that. Oh, I'm interested in that. And then spiral out um, if, you know, without, uh, if, if they don't have any sort of, um, internal limiter or compass spiral out into these horrific acts. Yeah. Like it all starts from, I, I, I want to say like understandable or reasonable motives. If sure. that makes sense that sure. then get taken to an extreme and it, I'm trying to describe it so carefully because I feel like if I say it in too, it just sort of too directly, it's hard to say what separates that from other crime thrillers or other sure. films about violence. Because in a sense, that's what all of them are about. They're about like people who have wants and ambitions and then they get twisted into harming each other. Sure. But there's something about the way the film makes it this... That's like an all... It's, it's, it's sort of like no matter where anybody starts from in the film, they have the same destination. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then that's echoed again at the end when, I mean, it's a film where literally everybody kills everyone else. Yes. Like there's nobody innocent no. that I can remember in the whole film. And maybe the guy who collects bugs, but sure. he's torturing those bugs. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it's... We see a bug squirming around with a pin stuck through it. His wife is, is seems... His wife is innocent. The, the, the German tourist the, um, girl. I say the yeah the German tourists are are real the yeah no no that that's true there there are some innocents in it but the the sense overall is this sort of encompassing web um, I guess what I'm saying is that when they take Bay of Blood when Chris Cunningham takes Bay of Blood and literally turns it into a formula for Friday the Thirteenth sure. are movies I enjoy um, they they almost take it and filter it back into the giallo mode right like there's a killer sure sure and it's all coming down to one thing that we all have to be worried about there's, there's one killer stalking an evil it. thing yeah which yeah. it where what's interesting about bay of blood is the way everything just um sort of slithers and and reaches out into everybody yeah um it's not like a group of people being stalked by a killer. It's there's not an answer at the end. Like, aha, we right. know who it was and we know what the motive was. And that's underlined by the, you know, the last people standing in this series of murders yeah. get shot to death by their own children yeah. who think they're playing a game. Yeah. And it is like, in some ways you can say it's like, oh, it's very heavy handed. Like, you know, adults create this violent world and their children inherit it. Yeah. Um, but, but there's something 
light to his touch about it. And maybe it's that sense of irony, that sense of freedom that we were talking about before that comes into play. Sure. Where it's the that idea is there, that message is there, and it is a rather I mean it's it's one of the most brutal and chilling uh endings to a movie I've ever seen. Except that visually, like those kids are running off, they're like, Oh, okay, now let's go swim in the bay, and they're running yeah. off into this like idyllic vista. Yeah. It almost feels like may you almost get the sense that like maybe maybe they've actually escaped their parents' horrible violent world in a way. Yeah, like they've play acted the violence and it's actually freed them from it. I mean, except they just murdered their parents. No, no, I'm saying like on a on, on a, have to cope on a with plot that. level, when you get dragged back to a plot level, it's this vicious, cold, horrifying ending. Yeah, but then. The the aesthetics of that ending sure, of them running off to play, it has this ironic tension that makes it a horror a horrible ending. Like makes it this sure. this real vision of horror of like oh they're running off to play and uh, believe me, uh, more than I did when I first saw it when I rewatched it this time being a parent I yeah, like yeah. all I can think about when I'm watching that is like oh those kids are just running off and like. With no supervision. Well, not with the, they're just like running off into a ruined like their their world is ruined and they don't even know it. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like my I'm like you know I, I'm a soft touch for this stuff now, sure, but like sure. my my heart's breaking for these kids. But at the same time, it's this beautiful vision, and sure. their and their parents were so um, so dragged down and tainted by this world that they wanted to be a part of. Yeah. Um, because it is, I mean, it is about, like, greed and status and wanting to have instead of just being, right? Right, like, right. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to commit the sin that I was getting mad at Tim Lucas for of, like, reading too much or, or pinning too much of it on being this, like, true and deep artistic expression. Because it is, at the end of the day, uh, in large part, like, it it's, you know, a murder movie. Like, sure. it, it's... It's titillating and, and exhilarating, but there's something about it that it carries that that sense of it that stuck with me. Sure. That I think is able to launch these, you know, more debased and, and streamlined uh, genres that nevertheless, like, I don't know, a little bit of it follows into it. This is... Not the same, but I, I thought at the ending, I like couldn't help but think about how if that film had been made in America, I don't really know what the defining thing would have been that would have changed it, but th th there would have been six sequels to it. <laughs> I think if it oh, had yeah. been made, you know, if or, or if it had been made six years later or if or, or something, if there, because well, it is yeah. fundamentally these two kids it, just looking again at a plot level, th their parents were successful in maneuvering to then own the bay. And then they murdered their parents. So those two kids then own that land, which which leaves, you know, you now have two kids who've murdered their parents. So you've got, you know, you could have you have to go to an asylum. They get a new caretaker and they're evil. Uh, the kids oh, yeah. grow up and one of them becomes a murderer. There's like it, there is just <laughs> in that moment, like the plots of 15 other slasher movies. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but again, he he's just moving on. To something oh, yeah, he else. He's not going to he wouldn't have made it. Yeah, well, I mean, it is interesting. Yeah, Friday, I, I, I don't know if it was the, I don't know if it it is, uh, 
like it's not necessarily like an American cultural thing, or rather, if it is an American cultural thing, it might just stem from us being the like commercial core, like we're the headquarters right. of the the algorithm that pushes things to be sequels and pushes things to yeah. be like recapitulations and and everything. So like it, it I, I don't know where the chicken and the egg is on right. that, right. but. But I do think that because he's working so far from that center, whether geographically or aesthetically, um, that he doesn't feel that sure. that push or that need. Yeah. Which is ironic because a lot of his films are actually released in America as either like fake right. knockoffs <laughs> or or false sequels. Like sure. I think Shock was released as the sequel to Beyond the Door. Said okay. film and he had nothing to do with like Beyond yeah. the Door Two <laughs> or right. something like that, um, and you know Lisa and the Devil released as the House of uh, Exorcism. Exorcism. Right, right. It's just sort of like try to knock off. So it, it's this I don't know, just sort of a, a one of those like Twilight Zone ironies or, or like sad fact that he didn't do that. Yeah, but his films ended up being presented as if they were <laughs> yeah, so yeah. many times. That's, I would love to have uh, a career where people were like taking my films and changing them and reattributing them and uh, not reattributing oh, yeah. them, well, but like re, uh, you know, like giving them new names and then putting in eighteen minutes of new material and taking out some stuff I like, being like, yeah. "This is what well, this I, movie I would, is in France." <laughs> I would love that too, and I, I think Baba ended up. I think that he was mad for a little while because he didn't have any money. Sure. And that probably like sticks in your craw. We're like, oh. Yeah, yeah. I, I was looking, I was trying to read up in Lucas's book and elsewhere like what his actual relationship with Argento was. Sure. Um, yeah, I didn't realize they'd ever and, worked together. I assumed that they were like too parallel to be friends, you know? <laughs> well, they, for a while they were. They were, I mean, and, and Baba actually refused to meet Argento for a while because even though he hadn't seen Argento film yeah. everybody kept coming up to him and being like hey dario just made your movie <laughs> he just sure. made you know whatever the, I, i'd forget the italian title but the girl who right. knew too much evil eyes like I, it's uh, he just made your movie and so be, even though he hadn't seen it he was very mad about it sure yeah. and refused to beat him for a long time but then i was i was encouraged by the fact that later on he did uh sort of mellow on the issue and i think that just you know feeling like oh something's happening that i should be getting right something for like not out of greed but just like oh okay well that that was mine yeah, thanks yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you're doing well um i know when he finally met dario again later he basically thanked him for making horror films bankable again. <laughs> sure, yeah. It was like, you know, the, the popularity of, of Argento films made Baba able to then finance films that came afterwards. Yeah, makes um, sense. Which helped. And then, yeah, after Baba's career as a solo director essentially ended and he was just still doing uncredited work on all kinds of people's movies because he couldn't stop. Right. Um, he ended up coming onto Inferno. So yeah. it's like this beautiful culmination like it is nice when things can kind of move that way it's like time wise and personalities wise it all comes together yeah but it is I, I keep thinking of um, the way Bootsy Collins described Prince where he's like I it's great he figured out how to take what we were doing to make it sell a million copies <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And like that is a kind of genius, right? Yeah. Like 
It doesn't actually detract from Prince or Dario Argento to say, like, yeah, they, they're in some ways a refinement or a perfection of something yeah. that they didn't originate. Right. You you know. Know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, right. On some level, nobody is originating anything, right? It's just yeah. it's how much you're how much are you stealing and how much are you bringing in your own your own juice? Yeah. You know, and I think anyone who's going to say that, like, Argento or Prince isn't juicy enough, you know, I, that's <laughs> that feels like that feels like an objectively wrong opinion. Right? I, like, like, yeah, yes, no, those are there's there is a lot of Baba in Argento. Um, those are definitively juicy artists, though. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, those are those are two of our juiciest. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> What do you What do you think about like just Mario Mario If we hadn't just had this whole conversation, yeah, and we were just like in the video store that still exists, yeah. Well, you have one. No, you have more than one, right? No, are they gone now? All gone. Ah, that's yeah. I didn't know that. Yep. Our last one was I love. I mean, it makes sense. And And I love. I assume COVID ate it. Yeah, COVID ate it, and then somebody bought all of their movies. Maybe the draft house. Someone who has some intent to do something nice with them. I think you know, but I mean that's nice. Right. Yeah, but no, they're all gone. Do you see how easy it is to uh, to like buy into conspiracy theories about COVID where it's like, oh, yeah, then there was a, you know, we're talking about this like technological mediation. It's like, oh, and then there was a disease that shut down everything that could still be like a human interaction. Oh, man. And moved everything further into Skynet. Yeah, definitely. At least around here, it's like everything that was old culture died you know and now it's, yeah the place that was i love video is now i don't know if they're open yet but it's like a micro brewery that has like a tap room you can hang out in which you know, cool we have 800 that's what everything of. yeah everything's gonna be the the uh one of my favorite venues in town uh closed down during covid now it's gonna be a microbrewery so yeah, yeah. everything's gonna be microbreweries that's what yeah. we get in the in the like yeah, we have dystopian future. With, like, if shitty burgers and we have huge condos. Yeah, like so. If you're if you're in the bubble, if you're inside the Imperial Center, and you yeah. are lucky enough to like access these things, that's what yeah. you get. That's your treat is the yeah. microbrewery. Yeah, and then everybody it's, else just gets flattened. We're returning to like ancient Greece or ancient Rome or something. Yeah, where they're like, all we have is bread and beer. <laughs> Enjoy. Plus, we murder each other for fun. Yeah. Sorry. If we were in the video <laughs> store. If we were in the video store, and I just walked up and I was like, oh, yeah, Bava. What's up with him? Should I, should I, should I watch these? Should I rent these? Uh, yeah. What's he about? Yeah. You should, you should look into this five for five for five deal. Five movies, five days, five dollars. Oh, that take. sounds great. Yeah, it's a sweet deal. <laughs> Welcome to Al's in Video Land, uh, where I would recommend that you get five babas. Just grab five of them. Pick any five. Take Lisa and the Devil in any other four. <laughs> okay, so so I you definitely want me to watch them, and I'll, I'll experience them. But like, just let me know. Like, what am I in for? What's his thing? Why do you like him? Oh, uh, his thing. Like, I'm sold. I'm gonna do the five for five. 
I'm just curious. Yeah. Um, he... Did you ever misbehave as a kid and, and had someone, like, clapped on your ear and it hurt, but then your ear... You, like, that semi-deaf and then your ear rang for, like, a minute and then slowly sound came back in your ear? Did you ever do that? Uh-huh. Do you? Yeah. Uh, it's like if... Uh, he's doing that to your brain, but just <laughs> over and over again. Just for the full runtime. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's great. I'll, I'll rent four horror movies and <laughs> sex comedy. Perfect. Uh, I didn't. Did he? Does he have know. a sex we, comedy? I should have watched that. He did. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it. Um, I'm, there's a lot of I haven't seen actually. It's is not he, like I'm an expert. Is it like people uh, having sex and at the same time, like someone's turning a blue light on and off <laughs> in the background of the scene the whole time? I love that he's just like throw a purple light behind that door. Yeah. No one in the scene is going to notice it. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I'm not calling attention to that door for a reason. I just think there should be purple no, that light door blasting just feels out purple from behind. Yeah, right? And I also like the idea of playing with the idea of haunting, right? Like, you can do it in Baron Blood where you have a literal, like, monster man crawl, crawl out of a grave and yeah. come back from the dead. If you're going to suggest we don't have a monster man, I'm going to have to fight with you. <laughs> no, no, no. I think we should have a monster man, All right. at least eventually. Okay. But I think that there's space to, um, or even if we have the monster man. Yeah. Here, let let me say this, and then we can figure out how it fits together. Because, no, we we have to have a monster man. um, Or some sort of monster thing. You know, spooky ghost killer child or whatever. Um, But going back to the the Bay of Blood idea, where there is just this energy moving through the film. Sure. And moving through all of these different people. And there isn't one killer. There is just the act of killing that sort of migrates from host to host almost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really like staying in the space as much as possible or whenever possible Mm -hmm. of the sort of slippage between is this a literal ghost returning or is Mm -hmm. it some sort of malevolent energy like psychic or spiritual that is sort of permeating a space or permeating people. And sure. so you have these monstrous things happening, but you know, before you go fully into the sort of the marvelous and the grotesque and have a, yeah. a real monster man, you live in that, that fantastic space a little bit where you, where it's, it's suspended right between like, what is it that's happening here? It's yeah. not normal, but is it, something within people is it something that's reaching out into people like the the ghosts of the past as we've talked about here before are always affecting us in different ways yeah that you can you can simply talk about them as if they're like psychological historical facts but or you can talk about them in other ways yeah. you know you you can you can redefine consciousness in terms of magic and spirituality and it doesn't make it any less real right. so I yeah. Kill, kill baby kill might be the one to steal from for that particular angle then, right? Because in that movie, I, I don't know if this was yeah. the experience. When I was watching it, it's you know, it's it's like there's a little girl who's a ghost, but she's not like like Monster Man goes around and is like hanging people from trees or gutting them with a yeah. old tool or whatever. Which um, I don't want to lose those scenes, you know, necessarily. Well, but I, don't think, I don't think you necessarily 
have to, but in Kill Baby Kill, just a girl appears and then people die in various ways, right? And I was unclear until I, the final scene, the, near the very end, when the the town witch confronts the Contessa or whatever, um, and is like, you summoned this ghost from the dead and now this ghost is causing these deaths. I was unclear until that point if it was... Uh, like a like a like I'm putting mass psychosis in quotes, but like if it was yeah. like a if it was a, just a sort of thing that people were seeing because of stress or whatever, or if it was actually just a little girl ghost, you know. Well, and that's that's also a deal that's interesting is that I haven't even really thought about it yet. Even though I've been thinking about Baba, that's also dealing with guilt and responsibility, right? Because instead sure. of it being located in one central position and going out and affecting everybody, this is the yeah. whole town letting yeah. this girl die, right? And then all of them taking that on board their souls in such a way that either they're killing each other and themselves or they're essentially fueling the return of this vengeful ghost. Like she couldn't come back if they didn't have that weight of guilt. Yeah. Is what it feels like. Right. I I totally love stealing kind of that whole move. Maybe that's too much, but the idea of like, this is an abandoned place that is haunted and like, her family has been tasked with with guarding it for several generations, but like maybe they haven't been doing it. But also if if eventually what we learn is that like this was whatever this haunting was was not actually her family's fault. It was not related to her at all, right? It's yeah. it's there was some event that involved, you know, I don't know, uh uh uh, uh the town doing some kind of murders or the town doing some kind of reprehensible thing and then uh, and then just sort of pinning it on somebody um, and then, or it could have been her ancestor and part of what sure. she has to do is is exercise her connection to this bloodline sure. right sure. like yeah. it could be some sort of ancient paternal figure um, and then you get the barren blood thing where you we can mix the kill baby kill like yeah. is the girl really there is she not with the whole move in barren blood where joseph cotton just shows up yeah and you're like i think he's the monster but also like maybe he's not yeah. and if we're and if we're living more in that like unknown space and we create this it could even be somebody who's coming in to sort of compete her control for the land or something like that and then she's having to deal with it and then we keep sort of stylistically building him up as yeah. this force but then we're not seeing him do anything the it's be the the malevolence and the violence is being shifted out into other hosts until sort of the climax of the film where he transforms into this sure. thing that she has to reject and and escape and survive essentially can we do can we do the inverse of the barren blood and have it be like there's there's this is a dual forked pitch it's either uh someone shows up and is like oh no i'm your ancestor from 400 years ago who did the murders uh that's me but just kind of looks like a guy um or the other version of that is like someone shows up and they're representing themselves as a more direct descendant or whatever and they're like i get this land but then in private to her they're like oh no i'm actually his ghost but to everyone else <laughs> yes. they're representing themselves as uh yes. as just like a, a new guy in town but he's like a better relative who's like it, it is like fighting her through legal channels to try to get the land but in yeah. private is like oh no no i'm your I'm your great, 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 great grandfather. I've been dead for 350 years and I'm yeah. going to murder everyone but, in town. But we don't kick anything up. Like he doesn't start glowing. He doesn't no. do anything. He just, no, is we, we should, we exactly should think he's trying to scooby do the same. Yeah. And he's just like, 
Hi. Yeah. You, you should watch it and be like, this dude's just messing with her. He's, this dude, he's trying. He's going to pull off a rubber mask. This dude played by Dick Van Dyke. This old Dick Van Dyke. This old man Dick Van Dyke who still can tap dance. Let a, let's bang out a script and find yeah. how to get it to him. Okay. Well, I we don't have In a lot next, of time left. Yeah, we've got maybe a year. <laughs> um, so let's let's get on that. Okay, great. Um, something you said about irony, uh, like a ri- ironic detachment, yeah. uh, gelled with something I wrote down. It was like a half baked thought that I had again while right. I was doing dishes, um, and it it, it kind of moves beyond the film, but I, I think that is okay too Um, and just this sense it's something I've been thinking about for a while and something maybe we'll talk about more on other episodes Um, but the it's sort of the dilemma for me of irony the dilemma of irony at this moment and the way irony has developed because not not to get too highfalutin or broad I'm going to try to keep this as as succinct as possible even though I'm reaching for a lot of different things um (laughs) I feel like the the advent of sort of modernist irony, mm-hmm. wherever you want to peg that to, um, I, I like to look to back to, you know, Emerson and then the pragmatists that followed and then William sure. James and, and John Dewey in America, at least. But yeah, you could put it in lots of different places. Um, not, I'm not making an argument that they actually are like the originators. Um, the modernist sense of irony was always about, to me, a sense of um, mental and spiritual agility, sort of the ability to confront a situation but not be subsumed by it, to be able to turn it and look at it from other angles and be able to jump from idea to idea as a as a source of power okay. as a source of, of manipulating uh, language and ideas and therefore your very world that is made up of language and ideas around you sure. uh, it's, it's a way of, of asserting personal power within a, a world system that doesn't necessarily allow for that power on its own sure. um, where I feel irony is currently, and this might be me having rose-colored glasses, or it might be me misunderstanding, but I feel like irony, as it exists now, comes with a an amount of contempt or disdain or aloofness sure. that I think was always potentially present in you know, so this sort of original form that I'm talking about, but it's become much more dominant now. And and in some ways it has to have moved that way because if irony, if this sort of ironic agility of mind was a survival strategy for a right. world that was crushing you, the yeah. world has only gotten more crushing. And, and how so can I, you not resent the world crushing you? Yeah. And, and so the irony that you need now to survive is the irony that tells you well, none of this is important. Right. Where it used to be, I feel like it was holding many things to be important at once and being able to, to move among them. Sure. Now it's, well, I can turn anything to the side to show you how ridiculous it is. So I don't have to care. So I don't have to get hurt. Sure. And 
when you were talking about uh, maybe our, our protagonist disrespecting history out of a sort of ironic detachment, making yeah. that more of a modern thing, it just it, it resonated with that uh, that trend I've been thinking about. And that everything is true versus nothing is true mode yeah. of being, right? Like, and I, I actually wrote a piece of dialogue. Um, uh, it, it was very, very brief, so it's not actually going to be that good. But it, it would be, in theory, when I wrote it, it would be, it would be meant to be delivered to our protagonist from a character like one of Bava's witches, sure. the, the you know a character that knows yeah. that is a part of the world that our character has stepped into yeah. in a way that our character will never be, no right. matter how much they you know experience here. Um, and so the witch, you know, ba- one of Bava's witches would say to our protagonist at, at a time when when the protagonist is totally at wit's end and doesn't know what to do or where to go. Yeah. Um, she would say, you are stuck in between. If you truly did not believe, then you would feel no fear because there would be nothing there. If you truly believed, you could fight it. But as you are, you have no power and no escape. Yeah, I love it. So that's, I don't know. That's where... going in the draft verbatim. You okay. said it wasn't going to be good, but it's great. <laughs> so that, that, that was what came to me, that, and I feel like that would be one of the running themes yeah. in in our approach to neo gothic, which, which would be maybe trying to reclaim some weight of belief, sure, in an age now that is even more fallen from the possibility of belief than in Bob's right. time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's great. And that is that is fundamentally like the the core of sort of the new versus old ideal, right? Is that the the old, the ancient, the especially in stories of like uh mystical power, right? Um are the, the core is belief, right? That is that is what there was. There was a ghost because people believed there was a ghost, right? But now we live in a world where no one can believe. So I think that that is that really cuts to the heart of the of that of that dichotomy: the new invading the old, the old, the new uh, laying atop the old. What we what we shall do? So so it is. We will take the dichotomy, uh, you know, and we will transform it then in that style of um, the, the old Hegelians into a dialectic. Is this, are you Zizek now? Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, Zizek. We'll get Zizek to play a character, the character who is digitally inserted. <laughs> yeah. No, that's it. At the end, Dick Van Dyke transforms into Zizek. And he's the monster the whole time. And he's the melting face monster. We'll have him be yeah. the the hulking, melting monster man. And he'll have been monstering by, by hating our movie. Yes. Yes. That's, He's going to monster us. Yeah. We'll have him at every screening. Perfect. We're, we're going to Dick Van Dyke. We'll get him on stage. We're, we'll be like, well, we're going to drive Dick Van Dyke. We're going to drive Dick Van Dyke to his grave and we're going to yes. kidnap Zizek for the rest yeah. of his life. Done. Great. I'm on board. I'm on board with this project. Uh, we did it. We did it. We did it, guys. Insane. Hmm. I rather think that he was much too clever.
I understand that he was the saddest murderer. I'd rather think not. Uh, you are the saddest murderer. Saddest. Synesthesia is produced by Iguana Donald Studios and distributed by Split Tooth Media. Synesthesia is recorded solamente in Italia, baby. You are the saddest murderer. This is not interesting for anyone but me and maybe you. Synesthesia.